Welcome to Conscious Curiosity SD, where successful San Diego leaders share their stories of leading beyond profit and are using the influence of business to positively change the companies and communities we all work and live in. I'm your host, Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership, a unique set of processes that unlock the unlimited passion and potential of your team to create a 10x result in your business. I want to thank our collaborative community of San Diego business organizations, the Better Business Bureau, Conscious Capitalism, Be Local, and Cause San Diego. We're all focused on impacting the community of San Diego through the work they do as business leaders. Welcome to the show. It's hard to believe, but we are celebrating two years in our 50th show here on Conscious Curiosity SD. And to celebrate, we have someone very special to me. She's an exceptional San Diego business leader, entrepreneur, and my best friend, Karen Blanton, on the show today. Karen, welcome. I'm happy to be here, Jeff. Karen is the executive director of Shoreline Community Services. Shoreline has a higher purpose of harnessing the power of community relationships to impact the neighborhood's most urgent social challenges. Karen, I appreciate you taking the time. It's going to be fun, and I'm curious to hear what you got to say. I'm looking forward to sharing. So are you ready to rock and roll? Ready. Well, again, I want to do things a little differently. So if you're familiar with the show, typically I always like to ask the question at the end, what's the big idea? I would like to flip it around and start with the end in mind and ask you, what's the big idea? What is the thing you'd like people to really know and remember? We engage the community into the solutions. So it's not Shoreline that is trying to make the solutions happen. It's not Karen Blanton that's trying to make the solutions happen. We're pulling the community together. There's an old African proverb. We've all heard it a lot of times. If you want to go fast, go alone. If you want to go far, go together. I think that would be what I would say is my big idea, that we need each other and we need all of our diversity. We need all of our experiences, all of our skills, our talents, our education. The social challenges that we're facing today are much bigger than any one person or any one organization. We have to do it together. We need relationships with each other to make it happen. And not only is it going to happen easier, it's a lot more fun to do it with with other people. You know, we have a saying that we say change happens in relationship. And that right there just says it's together. We're going, we're only going to do it together. So what you're saying is this isn't like uh, you and a couple of people out doing something and raising money to go for you guys to go do something. It's really about bringing all the stakeholders associated with the with our particular neighborhood together to go make something happen. Exactly. That's kind of a cool thing to bring up because part of what we're talking about here in the world of conscious capital is the idea of uh, stakeholders over shareholders. Kind of went through an interesting exercise I was involved with you guys earlier on was like when you step back and you think about a community like Pacific Beach and what you guys are trying to do and you think about the neighborhood, there's a whole list of stakeholders. Like like who are your key, let's call the key stakeholders? Who, who, who is like most engaged in trying to make your thing happen? such a variety. Of course, what comes to mind first, we're focusing on issues of homelessness right now. The Our major stakeholder, I'm sure that if you would ask people, they would say those who are unsheltered, those who are unhoused, which is true. But the community is our big stakeholder. Again, we try to engage the community into the work that we're doing. 
helping them to find ways that they can work alongside of us and alongside of those who are unsheltered and find ways to be of service that are not only meaningful to them, but are supportive and are actually contributing to the the work that's being done. So residents, local businesses, local government, and by that, I don't mean the city of San Diego, the county of San Diego, which of course are both champions of ours, but town councils, Mission Beach Town Council, Pacific Beach Town Council, we're um, starting to be involved with the Bird Rock community group. And SDPD is one of our stakeholders. Local communities of faith are very involved in the work that we're doing. Other organizations, other nonprofits in our neighborhood. We just had a community kickball tournament this past weekend, and it was really heartwarming to see the community organizations that showed up to table at the event and the Audubon Society was there. Like who, you know, who would have thought that that they would be a stakeholder, but it was important for them to be there. I know. I learned about marshlands. There you go. The wetlands, I mean, yeah. (laughs) (laughs) I had some questions I needed to get answered. Again, all this right by housing housing organizations and healthcare organizations. So I I just thought local churches were there. I, I just thought it was a great smattering of people that showed up and organizations that showed up, which really showed the diversity and people who care about the issues and want to be a part of the solutions. Well, I love that. So, I mean, really the key stakeholder in your business is the community, all these different people coming together, volunteering, or they're kind of in line of what they do for a business, the, the, the police department, how can they show up to be supportive in this? So that's awesome. And I think many companies don't really stop to think about all the stakeholders that they're touching. But that's actually your business model is to bring those all those people to, alive. So maybe give us a little scope of uh, Shoreline. So we kind of started jumping into a little bit of the details of stakeholders and all that. But well, how are you serving the unhoused? I think the best thing to do is kind of give you the little Shoreline 101. Shoreline Community Services is the nonprofit organization itself. And under Shoreline, we have four different programs. Our biggest program is the Compass Station, which is a resource drop-in resource center. This is a place where people can come, do their laundry, get a shower, charge their phones. We have nurses on staff that they can see. We do a lot of document recovery for people, getting their IDs, their social security cards, their birth certificates. We have legal and tax help there. It's a time where they can come and actually sit face-to-face with resource providers who are on site. So instead of picking up the phone or driving all the way downtown, they can actually meet with housing navigators. Family Health Centers is there uh, offering their medical and dental services. We have uh, substance use and recovery programs who show up that people can talk to them. There's just a, a real diverse offering of services for them. And it's kind of a one-stop shop. So that's our biggest program. Next to that, we have a volunteer outreach program. There's a certain population of folks who don't come in for services. They don't come in to the compass station. They don't come in for the meal services that are offered in the neighborhood. So we have trained volunteers who are residents in the neighborhood who go out in our shoreline van and they meet people where they are on the street, just building relationships with people, building trust with people, letting them know that when they're ready to get these benefits and resources and services that they know where to go and they know where to connect. Um, That's really, really important. Our third program is a medical respite hotel programs. Often what happens when people have had a surgery 
or a hospital stay, when they're released, they're released directly back to the street. Think about that for a second. You went to the hospital because you're quite ill. You don't just go to the hospital for a hoo-hahs, right? I mean, you got, in fact, you could have some very serious things wrong with right. you. And you're done. You're out. That's and right. And go find a place to sleep on the ground. Right. Uh, wow. I mean, I often think what it feels like if you just have a cold or you have the flu and you just want to be in bed. and there. Exactly. <laughs> Imagine. Right. So we offer a three-day hotel stay for those folks. So they just have a safe, comfortable place to recover before. But actually people back from to the our street. community, right? I mean, right. you so kind of have to be work, recognized as coming from our community. Absolutely. Yeah. So we work directly with the social workers who would call us and say, you know, we've got somebody here. They're ready to be released. We think this would be beneficial for them. And the first question I ask is ask them where they stay when, you know, they're not in the hospital. Where do they stay? So when you say unhoused neighbor, you actually mean neighbor. I mean neighbor, right? <laughs> you like, are my neighbor. If they don't say Mission Beach, Pacific Beach, or La Jolla, I have to say, I'm sorry, I can't help. The funding we receive for these programs are to serve our specific community. So that's really important. And then the last program that we have is our most recent. We started July 1st of this year. It's called the Community Care Crew. And we actually hire some of our unsheltered neighbors to do street cleaning, like graffiti removal, landscaping, event set up and take down. We recently purchased a pressure washer. So we're getting into the pressure washer business probably mid-month, November. It's a program. It's not just uh, work. So they work between 20 and 25 hours, so a part-time position. And then they receive case management every week. And then we have a beautiful partnership with the San Diego Workforce Partnership where um, we connect them to a career navigator that person is sort of the person who helps them to reinvent themselves if need be. So getting them training in a trade, if that's something they're interested in, or just um, there's some certification programs that uh, through local, the community colleges, or if they're interested in full-time permanent employment and they need to kind of get up to speed in some different skills. Those are the folks that can help them do that. It's a proper program um, that they're working along with their job. You know, it's not, we, it's not a career for them. This is no, like passing through. Exactly. To, it's a stepping stone. Let me even share why that's so important because you can't often get housing unless you're employed. So. Correct. A lot of the stipulation is that you need to pay a portion of the rent. So you do have to have some income. I would say we would say we're working alongside of the system. We're not in the system and that seems to be working. Uh, but when we look at this program, it seems we'll probably work. And again, you know, we're only two or three months into this. So we're still kind of collecting our data, but we think what's really going to work is if we get these folks into living wage paying jobs so that they can they don't have to go through a shelter system or a safe parking lot that they can stock up on some money so move for, directly into housing. and move directly into housing that they're paying for themselves. And so this is a true social enterprise with the idea that this is a self-funded, right? That they, they go out, uh, the local community, the neighborhood hires you to do work. You get paid a normal wage like anyone else. Looks just like a for-profit exactly. uh, operating underneath your umbrella. That is awesome. So give us a little sense of scope of this thing. Just so people kind of understand, like, how many volunteers are associated with making this thing run? Like, how, how big is the, the small social enterprise? Uh, what, 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 are you, what are your team? What are, you, what are you managing on a regular basis? Right now, staff-wise, I have two 
program managers who help run the compass station. I have an operations coordinator who does a lot of um, our grant writing and procedures, operational things. So there's kind of four of us on that, we'll say like an admin. level. Um, I have a supervisor for the care crew. We have a case manager for the care crew. Currently, there are four members of the care crew. We're looking to probably add... The care crew is the social enterprise. Yes. Yeah. So those are the unsheltered folks um, who are who are doing the labor. We're looking to probably add, I would say, two or three more by the end of the year if our pressure washing business takes off, which we're hoping. That's staff. And then volunteers. I would say we've got, I would say between 40 and 50 volunteers throughout all of the programs. We've got 29 community partners that we work with, eight or nine. So a partner is... Those would be like the local businesses who we count on. Um, that would include our resource providers who show up at the Compass Station. We've got between eight to ten faith communities who are also helping us out. Really engaged. Mm-hmm. And which, you know, what a great group of folks. You know, not only are they willing to come in and put hands on work, which is fantastic, but they see value in it and are supporting some of them on a monthly basis. So that's so, amazing too. At the end of the day, this is a very sizable organization. These are all people, a lot of, I mean, you got paid staff, but then you have a lot of people that are here on a volunteer basis, right? So, you, you know, that creates its own dynamics of organizing and enrolling and getting those guys engaged to come into the program. Pretty sizable. What does the day-to-day life of Karen Blanton, who's trying to coordinate and run this whole thing, I mean, what what does that look like? Because and, and I bring this up because, and there's always a sense like, well, the nonprofit business folks, they're not really business people. They just run some nonprofit. And I'm sitting there going, you're 10 times the business person I am. What does it look like to run this? What's it take? Wow. Every day looks different. That's for sure. I spend a lot of my time out in the community meeting with community members, businesses, pastors of churches. And then I spend a lot of time with our unsheltered folks, you know, hearing from them and what their needs are and what their desires are. Programming is always shaped by listening to what the community wants. And, you know, as we talked before, we have a lot of stakeholders. So I'm constantly listening to their ideas. We live in a a wealthy neighborhood People are creative. People are educated. They've got good ideas. And our door's open. We want to hear from folks. And all of the programming that we have right now has come from conversations within the community and listening to our unhoused neighbors. Like I said, of you know what they need and what they want, what they think is going to be beneficial for them. A lot of my time is spent just being with people and gathering information work with one of my staff members. We do an awful lot of grant writing. And this year, our goal was to write three grants every month and we met our goal. That's a lot of work doing that. I spend a fair amount of time looking over budgets and doing working shoulder to shoulder with our board treasurer, you know, doing the accounting and income and expenses. And I'm weak in that area, but um, I've learned a lot. And I want to know, I want to get better at it. And she's incredibly patient with me and helps me with that. 
volunteer um, engagement is another piece is just, you know, making sure that we've got things for folks to do that they find meaningful. And like I said, that it supports the work that we're doing. That's not always easy. Working on events, fundraisers, live events. Uh, we do three or four of those every year and that takes up an awful lot of time. I'm sure I'm forgetting some uh, things. You probably <laughs> are. So I'm, I'm just trying to point out, I live with you, so I get to see this. And I mean, it's a uh, pretty much a seven day a week, multiple hours, answering the phone, lots of crises is going on. I mean, it's just, it's kind of crazy. And I also want to bring up, Shoreline's been around for many years, but how long have you been the executive director? So Shoreline was created in 2015. I think it's a wonderful story. Um, it was created, there was a meal service that happened at one of our PB churches, and they were finding the community members wanted to participate, but they actually weren't looking to say that they were volunteering at a church. They created the nonprofit so that folks could say they were working you know, volunteering at the nonprofit. That was in 2015. And in 2020, at that point, it was just the Wednesday night meal service. And they had the student-run free medical and dental clinic from UCSD that was there on campus. So it was a big day at the campus, it, you know, lots of hours. It wasn't just the food. Um, so there were things going on on the campus, but it, it was pretty much Wednesday I had an idea. My background is community development, and I had some ideas that I thought it was a beautiful program, but it was a relief service. Feeding people is a relief service. And my background in development, you know, is that next level up of, you know, we can assume people aren't naked and they're not starving. Now what can we do? Um, and I was kind of bringing to the attention of the small group that they were saying, this isn't solving the problem. It's important, but it's Weekly not. Weekly Band-Aid. Weekly Band-Aid. Do we need relief services? Absolutely. But they need to go hand in hand with development services. So I made the suggestion of kind of upping the programming. And it was sort of a pop-up at the beginning when I started in 2020. And I was at every meal service and just bringing service providers along with me, people from the county benefits, housing navigators, and just getting people interested. And then we realized it kind of had legs and people were taking to it and finding it valuable. And we ended up getting a space and that was in 2022. And things just kept rolling from there. So here so we are. I, I bring this up because what, we're two years in, two and a half years in. So we kind of went from a uh, once a week meal activity to now this full blown mm -hmm community project that's going on with mm -hmm. close to 100 people involved. Yeah, amazing. It was March 2020. Through COVID, too. Right, <laughs> it, right when COVID hit, right? And that, yeah, it was an interesting time. That created some whole new dynamics. It there. really did. So one of the things I want to talk about, which is kind of key to this uh, podcast, is the idea of the higher purpose in companies. All the leaders that come in here, and they're people first, you know, that that's kind of their idea. And are leading in a different way. From the conscious capitalist perspective, that's one of the, the, the key tenets is the higher purpose. You guys have a higher purpose. So like often I talk to people that are in a nonprofit, it's like, you know, the, the, the higher purpose is, oh, it's just the product or service that we provide. In this case, you're providing services for the unhoused, but you have a much higher purpose. So maybe talk about that a little bit. How do you use that 
you know, we have a couple of taglines, one of them being, uh, you know, we're harnessing the power of community relationships to impact our neighborhood's most urgent social challenges. I said before, I feel like that is what makes us unique. It's not just Shoreline doing this. Our real job is pulling in the community and helping them to find meaningful ways to come alongside of us and help with the work. If we do everything correctly and everything's rolling the way that it should be, our vision is a thriving, safe, and welcoming neighborhood for everyone. That's the outcome. That's the outcome. So I just think that's a beautiful dream to hold. Even that phrase, a dream to hold, I think we are dream holders. I think we hold the dreams of a lot of people in our community. Uh, our unsheltered neighbors who come to us at the Compass Station, especially, you know, that come in for services and looking for assistance, looking for help. Some of them are at the very, very lowest points in their lives and they don't see hope. They don't have the capacity even to hold a dream. I often will tell our volunteers and my, remind my staff that we're here to hold those dreams for them until they can hold them themselves. And that's a big job. We have to stay a bit light and breezy. And that's not always easy when we're dealing with crisis, people living in crisis, people are in crisis. It's on us to be those dream holders and to be the ones who can look out a little farther down the road and offer that hope. And hold that for them, like I said, until they're able to hold on to that themselves. I would say that's a special thing that we can offer that I don't think is offered in a, a lot of their lives. When people walk in the door in the morning, we often will shout their names out, sort of like, remember, cheers, like Norm. when Norm. <laughs> so, you know, these are folks who, A, most People in our community do not know their names. Most people in the community turn a blind eye to them. They're almost invisible. When they show up and there's smiling people shouting your name and welcoming you into a space, it's probably the only time during the day that that's going to happen. And we can make those little moments something special for them. So how do you use that higher purpose? You were kind of talking, you had a volunteer event here recently. And you were trying to bring that forward because most people, again, get very caught up in the service thinking this is what we're doing. But then meanwhile, you're trying to do something bigger. So maybe share a little bit about that. Like, how, how do you bring that to life? So we're, we're talking about relationship building here. I mean, that that's the main thing. When I think about the relationship building and I think of my unsheltered neighbors who I see on a day-to-day -day basis, often the reason that they're in the situation that they're in is because they've lost their relationships. Their relationships are broken. Their relationships with their family, with their friends, with themselves even, are just broken. I've heard stories, a drug addict who still has their network of people around them probably isn't going to become homeless. A young woman who's not married and finds herself pregnant but still has her relationships and her network around her probably isn't going to become homeless. An LGBTQ youth who comes out to their family and continues in relationship with the family and friends and their networks isn't going to become homeless. But when all of those things happen and the relationships are broken and they're just out floating on their own, that's when things go sideways. It's hard to navigate 
life is hard and it's just hard to navigate things on your own. So people floating around out there on their own, they're not going to make it. You know, there's for every person that walks in our door, there's a different unique story that they tell that got them where they are. That's why this is a hard problem to solve is there's no blanket answer. We have to know people. We have to look them in the eye and sit with them and hear the stories and hear the issues. And that's the relationship building that has to happen and the trust needs to be built. And that takes time and a lot of effort and a lot of energy from both sides. And that's what makes this such a difficult issue and a a difficult problem to solve. So what's the myth that you see? Like, let's give us one. There's probably like 20, but I often find myself sitting with colleagues or whatever, other fellow business people. And, and I listen to people say stuff and I'm like, I I know a little more than the average Joe because I live with you. And I'm like, Oh man, that's, that's a pretty quick thought about something that probably is much deeper conversation that again, kind of maybe even thinking about, who are our audiences is typically, um, you know, successful business leaders. What's like the one thing you would like to say, you know, here's something that you may be thinking, but probably isn't true. I'll think of two. The first one that comes to mind is why don't they just get a job? It's really, really hard to be an employee when you don't have a roof over your head. There's so many barriers to employment, things that you might not think about. Where do you store your things while you're, if you have a backpack and a bag, where do you put, you can't bring them to work because then everyone will know that you're unsheltered, right? But you can't leave them in the bush that you slept at last night or just sitting on the beach where you were. So there's that problem. How do you get up on time? You know, like you don't sleep on the street. That's right. right. Um, Often your watch will fail you or your phone will fail you. So where do you shower at the end of the day when you have had a long day and that's hard? Working on lack of sleep is really hard. Some folks have pets. You can't bring your pet to work in most places. So where it's like childcare, you know, where do you, where do you leave your dog? Who's your best friend and your protector? There's just so many barriers to employment. So that's the first one I think of that I often hear. The other one that I hear is that everybody is drug addicted or alcoholics. Our data actually is in line with California data, even San Diego data, city data, and national data, which says about a third of the population seem to be abusing drugs or alcohol and or mentally ill, a third. Again, we do an extensive intake with people when they come in. We do ask those questions. So it's self-diagnosed, but it, we find it to be about a third too. So it's not everybody. Our folks who are living on the street, it's more accurate to say that they will be victims of a crime than to be the person committing the crime. I think those are interesting myths that are kind of floating around out there. Yeah. One of the things that I think about is that kind of back to this population, you kind of hear what the numbers are and how large they are. And, you know, we live in PB. I mean, it's definitely an issue. And the people you see are the ones that are acting out. They are the ones that are addicted. They're the ones that are really down and out. They are the ones that are having some psychotic issues and all this. And so 
when people think of homeless, they just all think that's what everyone looks like. And that's not the reality. There's this whole much larger population that's uh, not being seen. Like the, like the guys that work for you, quite honestly, if they're walking down the street, you wouldn't know they're homeless. Um, I remember one time you hit me up to donate a bike and we went down to donate this bike and it was a family of six living in a large suburban, not a van, a suburban. Again, any of the kids, anyway, you would not have known they're homeless, but somehow they were pulling it off. So I think that for me, I think that's one of the things that we just kind of look at the worst of the worst and go, oh, that's everybody. And that's not the case. In fact, you can validate this. I think the largest number of people falling into the unhoused world are actually seniors Mm -hmm. that have worked their whole lives and just can't keep up with what's going on in our economy. We are seeing a great amount of seniors who are falling into homelessness. And these are folks who are on a fixed income here in San Diego. It's incredibly expensive and just keeps getting more and more expensive. So as rents are increasing, some folks I've seen a lot of kind of the slow roll, like they'll, um, give up their apartment and they'll go to a hotel and then they realize that's probably even more expensive than paying the rent. So they then they'll move in to their vehicle and then a it's uncomfortable, but B that's not, and it's expensive as well. And there's, there's nowhere to park. You know, you're not allowed to park. I mean, there are some safe lots that you can access and we can help people do that. But you know, you can't just go park anywhere you want. So then there's tickets and towing. And I, you know, I've worked with people who have had their vehicle towed and couldn't pay the tow fee to get, or, you know, to reclaim their vehicle. And it goes up like $200 a day as it's sitting in there. So by the time, you know, we see them, we're seeing bills that are $1,800 or $2,000, you know, because it's been sitting in there and they just don't know what to do. So while they're panicking, trying to figure it out, Ka-ching, ka-ching, ka-ching. Yeah. <laughs> it's just going up and up and up. You know, these are like grandmas and grandpas of people who are living in their cars or just flat out on the street, you know, dragging a suitcase behind them. It's heartbreaking. It's just heartbreaking. So give us some inspiration. Give us some hope. Like, Give us a good story. I mean, you've been at this for some time. You were doing some of this work prior to the shoreline as well. What's a good story? Put a hand out, do some things. It actually works out. The first one... We don't know the ending yet. We're in the process of it right now. A woman who has been using our services for quite a while and has been looking for work and looking for work and looking for work came up with an idea of reaching out to some of the ski resorts and found a place in Colorado that has hired her and she'll be working at the ski resort, getting her room and board and a paycheck for the work that she's doing. So it solved like two of her big problems um, all at once. And she's so excited. Her bag is packed. It's sitting in my closet in my office right now, getting ready for tomorrow is her day to get on the bus and go. And she's just beyond excited that she has figured this out. But it took a long time. It took a lot of people, a lot of resources, I think it's really going to work. I I really do think it's going to work. Our happiest stories are those kind of family reunification stories. I think another myth is that people come to San Diego and become homeless here in San Diego or have been homeless somewhere else and decide just to come to San Diego. But that's not true. It's about 80% of the folks that we know have fallen into homelessness here in San Diego. But some of the great stories that we have 
are those family reunification stories. There was a couple who came to us. It was last winter, at the end of the winter, last winter. They came looking from Philadelphia, and they were just looking for the golden life here in California. Well, everything went sideways, and, you know, the grass wasn't greener here. And she was found herself pregnant, and they just desperately wanted to get back to their families where their networks were and their people were. And we were able to connect them to a service and get them back to their family. We still hear from them that, you know, they're doing well and the baby is thriving and life is good. And sometimes people just need help. What's it? Seeing the forest through the trees, seeing the trees through the, what's the saying? You know, they, you're so deep in it that you can't see out of it. And sometimes you just need people to sit with you to help sort through things. And like I said, you know, we're here to hold those hopes and to hold those dreams and help you sort through things at their own pace. Um, and everybody's different. I guess my final story would be a gentleman who we knew for a long time who basically lived on a corner right near the beach. And often people will refer to unsheltered folks as um, underserved, the underserved population. Well, this was the most overserved of the underserved of all. Everybody knew this guy and he was addicted to drugs, um, addicted to alcohol. He was just in a really, really dark place just was never ready to do anything. And then little conversations started happening and he got a little inkling of what could be for himself with the help of a local church and our housing navigator and lots of other folks. He moved into an apartment and it was a big day of celebration the day that we moved him into his place and moved a fixture. Um, he, <laughs> he was people wondered where he was after all those years. But that was a really, a really good story. And again, just what all the resources and relationship and trust building that it took to make it happen. So let's talk a little bit about, I mean, uh, the focus of this is uh, typically for-profit leaders and businesses, and you're out there. Um, one of your big relationships is with the local businesses. You're running a business within the business. Give a little insights. When you're thinking of our community of businesses and talking to them, what's the best way they can connect and help support a nonprofit like yourself? And what, what role can business be playing? I feel the kickball tournament that I was talking about this past weekend was a really good example of that. I mean, we had businesses who were there, we call it tabling, you know, setting up their tent and just having a presence there, connecting with the community. That was a really big deal. We had the Better Business Bureau had two teams representing. So that was a great way for them to participate and support. I have certain businesses that do annual things for us. They do like a blanket drive or a sock drive. I have a realtor who every Christmas does a, a coat drive sleeping bag drive. So, you know, that, that's a great way to get businesses involved. Algaier. What's that? Algaier, who, who um, we had on the podcast. That's right. I had two construction firms, uh, Homemade and Algaier, who pitched in and did the renovation of the Compass Station. And between them, it was probably $40,000 worth of pro bono work that they came and did for us. And that was amazing. Lots of the restaurants in our area donate gift cards. You know, that's a 
great way to help. So it's kind of them giving from what they've got. You're not necessarily showing up and going, hey, write me a check for something. Right. More of, you make cookies, give us cookies. Exactly. Uh, You're a construction company. We have some needs over here. And we talk about that. I mean, I've mentioned it several times that it's, you know, helping people find ways to support the work that's meaningful to them. And that's different for everybody, you know, but if you're giving out of what you have, you're giving out of an abundance of what you have, that's the best place to come from or from your skill set, from how you're educated. You know, we have attorneys who show up. They help once a month just helping people sort through some of their legal issues. During tax season, we've got people who come in and sit with people and do their taxes with them. You know, those are professional services that are expensive if you're going to go out and get them, but people come and offer that to us and what a blessing it is to us as an organization, but of course to the people who are receiving the services. Well, we got to put a bow on this kind of uh, run out of time. Why do you do this? What made you decide Karen Blanton, you wanted to do this kind of work, which is really difficult, not just being busy and working hard, but just the challenge you see and the people you sometimes got to work with. It can be highly challenging. Why are you doing this? I think the reason that I do this is because I, at one point in my life, had found myself in a very low place, not as low as being unsheltered, but it could have been a possibility. It was close. (laughs) (laughs) And I just think that giving space to folks who are at their lowest point or a very low point to just be who they are, to sit in community with them, to let them lift their voices, to express their needs and their desires and their hopes and their dreams is a gift. Like I said, when people come in and how we greet them, that just doesn't happen. You know, these folks are oftentimes invisible in our community. I just feel giving space to those folks is, I don't think there's anything more important than that. Awesome. Well, babe, (laughs) I want to thank you for coming in and being on the show today. Take your time because you are a very busy person. I'm lucky to get to spend time with you. But I also want to thank you for all the amazing work you're doing. I mean, I'm just, I'm always just blown away at uh, how you are contributing to our community, the efforts you put in, the amazing leadership you're always demonstrating. It's just, uh, I'm, I'm inspired. I, I got I got I a tingle just uh, thinking about how lucky I am that I get to spend quality time with you and that you're my partner in this world. So thank you. Thank you very much Thanks for being for, you. Thanks for having me here. We appreciate it. Well, that is our show for today. And if you enjoyed it, please subscribe, comment, and most importantly, share the podcast with a friend. Again, special thanks to our collaborative community of San Diego business organization, the Better Business Bureau, who showed up with two kickball teams this weekend, Conscious Capitalism San Diego, Be Local, and Cause San Diego, who are all using the influence of business to positively impact our very own community of San Diego. I'm Jeff Blanton from Jailbreak Leadership saying, until next time, go do what you do. Go do what you do best, for we are all counting on